the church in Sardis was living in the past. In one way, it looked modern and up-to-date. The city of Sardis itself was full of new buildings because only a few decades before, the old city had been destroyed in an earthquake and the whole place had been rebuilt at no cost to its citizens. No cost to its citizens. It had been handed to them on a plate for the money had been donated by Rome. And that was typical of how the people of this once great city liked it to be. They had become lazy and soft and decadent. Once the city of Sardis had been truly great. It had been a byword for wealth and culture and military strength. But events had passed them by. By the time this letter was written, they were simply trading on their noble name. They were living on their past. Now this easygoing, laid-back, slothful character of the people of Sardis seems to have been reflected also in the life of the local church. On the face of it, we discover here a church that seemed just fine. If you or I had been able to ask some Christians of that locality what sort of congregation Sardis was, they might well have said, Oh, Sardis, now that's a really great congregation. That's a place that's very much alive and on the ball. Were they describing it in modern terms, they might well have said, it's a church with packed congregations. It's a church with top-class music. It's a church with really hearty congregational singing. It's full of organizations and activities. It's got loads of talent. Many of the most influential and wealthy citizens of Sardis belong to it. But the risen Lord Jesus looks at this outwardly impressive congregation very differently. Listen. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. How's that for a one-liner? You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. And when you think that in the New Testament, the church is often described as the body of Christ, what the Lord is really saying is this. There are congregations like Sardis where Christ is as present and as active as a corpse. Why? Because his church is dead. What is a dead church? The trouble is that too often appearances are deceptive. It's not activity 
that makes a live church. It's not organization that makes a live church. It's not affluence that makes a live church. It's not even crowds that make a live church. I remember long years ago staying on holiday in a Christian holiday home in the deep south of Ireland. One of the other guests staying there at that time was a little old farmer from the Midlands of Ireland. We met one day in the garden and we sat ourselves down on a garden seat in the sun because there was sun in the summer in those days. And we got talking. He, He knew that I was a young minister as I was at the time. And he said to me this wonderful sentence in his broad Midland brogue, our church is dead. And when I asked him what he meant, he said, the other church has whist drives every week and they run the odd sale, but our church is nothing. Our church is dead. Is that what makes a church alive? I think this, this letter gives us some clue as to what Christ thinks about a church that is really alive for him. Verse 4, Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. There were some people, but only some who had not soiled their clothes. We'll return to them in a moment. But for the present, let's think about the rest. Christ pictures them as people with dirty clothes. In pagan religion, for a worshiper to enter the temple and try to approach the gods with soiled and dirty clothing, was an act of sacrilege. Yet here were Christians whose lives were smutted and stained by sin. How could they possibly approach God or offer acceptable worship to him? As the psalmist said, Psalm 66, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And Psalm 24, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. We're not told in what way these men and women were unclean. In fact, no specially serious sins are specified against them. It seems clear, however, that they had allowed themselves to conform to the world around them, the decadent, lazy, pleasure-loving society of Sardis. And then verse 5, he who overcomes will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life. The book of life 
was a symbolic way of saying that God knows those who belong to him. It's a solemn reminder of a fact that we do well to ponder, that it's possible to have our names on the roll of a church and yet not to be inscribed in God's book of life. Not too hard to guess what the trouble was with the congregation in Sardis. Too many of its members, like their fellow citizens, were living in the past. Their religion was simply the religion of their parents, the religion of their upbringing. They lacked the realism of a personal faith of their own. Someone once said, God has no grandchildren. Each new generation, each individual person, needs to enter into their own personal experience of God in Jesus Christ. What about our church life? Are we truly a live congregation? When I was preparing this sermon, I came across a story about a little old grandmother from the Midwest of America whose family, I don't know whether they wanted rid of her for a little time or whether they wanted to butter butter her up a bit or what it was, but they sent her off on a sightseeing trip to London. In a few action-packed days, she saw the sights, a great many of the sights of London. But the thing she wanted to see most of all was Westminster Abbey. And when she got there and joined her little party, the guide took the party around and talked in detail about all the countless memorials and bits of history and culture that are assembled in that truly amazing place of worship. And he went on and on and on about these things. And suddenly, when he was in full flight, this little old lady stopped him and asked him a question. Say, young man, she said, tell me, Has anyone been saved here lately? Not a very comfortable question in Westminster Abbey. And not a very comfortable question in any of our churches. Let each of us ask ourselves, what is happening here? How do we appear to Jesus Are we really passionate about what he has sent us here to do? Let it not be said of us, you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. A church that seemed just fine. But secondly, this letter tells us, that within the church at Sardis, there was a spark of hope. 
verse 4 again. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. A few people. God always has his faithful few. And that is where the hope lay. It's interesting that in Scripture, God's numbers are often very small. Elijah thought, even though he was wrong, that he was the only one left who hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. Isaiah spoke about a very small remnant. Jesus focused his hopes on just 12 men. One thinks of the loneliness of Martin Luther or of John Wesley when they set out to do their work for God. And in this congregation of Sardis, there were only a few. But that's the point. There were a few. One of the books that influenced me most when I began to study for the ministry was Tom Allen's book, The Face of My Parish. It tells the story of how he went to his first charge in North Kelvinside in Glasgow. He found there a typical suburban Glasgow church in the culture of just after the war. It was full of complacency and self-satisfaction, and it had an inbuilt resistance to change. Bit by bit, Tom Allen began to gather round him a tiny group who caught his vision and began to share the burden with him in prayer, in service, and in loving concern for the people of his parish. He coined a phrase for them. He called them the church within the church. I believe it's not much different in many churches today. There are lots of good, decent people in all our congregations who are on the church's side, but their eyes look to the past. They have their doubts. They have their questions. They have their fears. Sometimes they're a bit lazy, a bit complacent, sometimes concerned only for their own little souls. The real hope has to lie with the church within the church. Oh, these people aren't perfect. Yes, they have their faults. But they are people who want to love Christ more. And they are ready to put their hand to the work of that Christ is calling his church to do. But let me ask finally, what about all the others, the nominal church members? 
Has Christ finished with them? Has he written them off? Certainly not. But he has two words for them. Verse 2, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Wake up, see the danger you're in. You aren't doing the job for which you were made. To use a current phrase, you're not fit for purpose. And the church itself is being fettered and hindered by our failure to shoulder the task and get involved in its mission. Wake up. And verse 3 at the end says to us, watch out. Watch out. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Jesus used this same picture of the thief in the Gospels to speak about his second coming and the final judgment. But the ascended Christ says to the church in Sardis, there is still hope. There is still opportunity if we wake up from our sleep and watch out for the temptations of Satan and grasp the opportunities that Christ is giving to us, both as individuals and as part of his church in this place. You have a reputation for being alive but you are dead. So many of the great institutions of the past went the same way as the church in Sardis, the only one of the seven churches about which Christ had nothing good to say. Someone once said, movements can become monuments. Movements can become monuments. There are those who predict that very future for the church in our generation. The movement is fast becoming a monument. And we have to admit that there are congregations that are so dead that they really only need a decent burial. But it need not be so. God still had his faithful ones at Sardis, and God has many faithful ones in our generation, many faithful ones in this family of Fitzroy that we love so well. What we need to do this morning And especially as our eyes look towards a new ministry, is to ask, am I among them? Do I want to be among them? Am I willing to step out afresh 
with Christ and by his grace and power make his mission happen for my own sake, for the church's sake, for the sake of those outside, and for the greater glory of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for every sign of spiritual life and vitality in this congregation of your church. But may your word humble us and correct us. If we are prisoners of the past, open our eyes to the future. If we are lazy and complacent, help us to hear your wake-up call to commit to courage and commitment. May each one of us make sure that our names are written in your book of life and that our clothes are clean from every stain of compromise and evil. Help us so to honor your name that you will acknowledge our names before your Father and his angels. Grant this, Lord, for your love's sake. Amen.